Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Um, well, like Russell said, we, uh, we kind of took a break from our Genesis series, so I just wanted to give a quick recap of the first three weeks of the series. We've just been going a chapter at a time. So in Genesis chapter 1, uh, the big idea, the thing that we wanted to present was that God is, uh, the God of Israel is the creator of earth. And so that's super basic, like this is probably not like mind-blowing if you're familiar with the Christian tradition at all, um, been in church, but that's what we wanted to just present is the idea that the God of Israel is the creator of the earth, and God calls his creation good, and each creation is created according to its kind except humanity is created in the image of God and in his likeness and ultimately um, one of the cool things that I thought that Russell pointed out in that message is that we were created as image bearers before we were sinners uh, that God actually created us in his image prior to the fall prior to sinning and I think oftentimes we kind of flip that right like we were sinning, and then we had to put our faith in Jesus to then become like this uh, little Christian in the world. And while there's some truth to that, I just think it's important that we kind of also recognize that in the creation order, uh, we were image bearers first. And so uh, I hope that's encouraging to you. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, we looked at how God put man in the garden to worship and to obey, to work and to keep it. Uh, and everything that we do is an act of worship. Um, we had this quote about the relationship between man and woman and when God created them, uh, not made out of his head to top him, that the woman was not made out of his head to top him, or his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, and under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Uh, I thought that was a really cool quote just from that relationship between male and female. And then in Genesis 3, uh, we talked about the sin cycle, that we see the beginning where there was temptation, sin, shame, and then consequences. And that's the same cycle that we kind of experience in our everyday lives as well, that we are tempted if we give in to that temptation we experience sin, shame, and then th- there's always consequences to sin. Uh, and we wanted, we looked at how Satan tempts us, and he wants us to question God's authority and God's word and God's goodness. Uh, but God, from the beginning, has been providing a way out and a restoration. That not just physically God clothes uh, Adam and Eve immediately after they sin and recognize their own nakedness, but then he also offers a spiritual restoration, a relational restoration to them. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 4. And so if you've got your Bible or the Genesis book or uh, something out that you want to follow along with, it should also be on the screen behind me. Um, but we're going to jump in starting in verse 1, and we're really going to focus on the first kind of eight verses in this relationship between Cain and Abel. Um, and if you are, again, if you're familiar with church, you've probably heard this story before, um, but we're going to look and see just kind of some basic principles and application that we can find from their lives and maybe some mistakes that they made, some things that we can try to avoid ourselves. Okay, let's do this. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, uh, 
it's important for us to kind of think back to Genesis chapter 3 and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring up just kind of those first three verses or first three chapters to us because God says something really important to Eve after, uh, this, after sin happens in the garden. He gives these like kind of curses or the consequences of this sin. And one of the consequences that he says to the serpent is this. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, we know with hindsight that this kind of points to the coming of Jesus in the future, that he would be the one that would overcome sin and death. But if we put ourselves into Adam and Eve's shoes, really all they know at this point is that there's going to be a child or an offspring that's going to be born that's going to overcome the serpent. Where they failed, where they gave in to sin, uh, their child of some kind, of some lineage is going to overcome. And so when we see that there's this child that's born, uh, when Cain is born, uh, there's a p- possibility, um, I'm not going to say like it doesn't explicitly say this, but it's possible uh, that this was, w- that Adam and Eve believed that this would be the offspring that would overcome the serpent. That although they had bruised the heel, that he would be the one that would bruise the head or overcome the temptation that they ha- faced in the garden. And that's going to be important as we kind of dive into the story of Cain and Abel together. Uh, this is the offspring, even like Cain's name, kind of gives us this hinting that he, there's some importance or that there's a believed importance to him. Uh, it says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That's actually like kind of the, uh, the, the whole meaning of Cain's name. It's very similar to this word of gotten or obtained, uh, that with the help of the Lord, that Eve has gotten a man in the sense that he would be the one that would possibly overcome this temptation and sin that they were unable to. Um, and so we see the kind of this, this narrative building of the potential importance of Cain's life. Uh, we'll s- go to cha- uh, verse 2 now. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Uh, now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. We'll kind of do a little compare and contrast here of these two brothers. He says we kind of, uh, as I mentioned before, Cain may have this uh, certain importance that his, his name even bears, like this one that God gave to them, uh, that he was uh, the firstborn, that, this, that he was potentially the seed that would be, have this important position. But when we get to Abel, what Abel's name is, or in, in the Hebrew, it's, it's Hebel, um, which if you were with us for the Ecclesiastes series, or if you're familiar with that book, there's this word called Hevel in Ecclesiastes. It's very, very close. So Hebel, Abel's name, H-E-B-E-L, Hevel, H-E-V-E-L, is actually a word for meaningless or vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. We, we had an illustration where Russell tried to grab on to smoke where like you could see that it was like something that you could reach out to, but it just kind of lifted through his fingers. Like, like we just can't ever quite obtain it. That's kind of the entire point of the book of Ecclesiastes. But this Hebel, Abel's name, is breath. But it's not like a breath of like significance. It's like just casual, normal breath, breathing, everyday kind of thing. So there's two things that I kind of pull out of that. One, um, that it's interesting that Cain's name seems to have a lot of importance, that he was given by God. Abel's name is more so just common, normal, but it also kind of points to like maybe a foreshadowing of his life being just a breath. Like it, it, it was quick, it's here, and then it's gone. Um, and, and it's kind of an interesting foreshadow there to the, the, in, the interaction that he will have with his brother moving forward. 
Not just that, but Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Uh, Again, trying to build on this narrative of the difference of these two brothers, that Cain was given the job that uh, God gave Adam and Eve when they were in the garden. Remember, if we go back to the curse, it was that you would work the ground and by the sweat of your brow, you will eat of the land. That is what actually God gave to Adam and Eve as their role in the world. And so they would then pass that role on to Cain, again, signifying his importance, whereas Abel was sent to work the sheep, which throughout scripture you'll see is the job of the youngest brother. It's the lower job. It's lesser than. Um, it's, it's given to like far less importance. And so we begin to see kind of uh, over and over there's this narrative building of this importance of Cain versus the importance of Abel in the story. Let's keep reading. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and and his face fell. So right here we see there's this kind of, uh, the, the script of the story so far flips Right? We've seen that Cain has this important name. He's got this important position. Abel is lesser. He's got this very like quick, let's just kind of his breath common name. He's given to, to tend the sheep. And yet, when it comes to them coming to worship God and give sacrifice to him, God chooses Abel's sacrifice. God chooses Abel over Cain and his sacrifice. Which we'll see, uh, again, if you're familiar with the rest of Scripture, you'll actually see this story play out over and over and over. We see that Jacob is chosen over Esau. We see that there is uh, the, the younger brother in the story of um, the prodigal son who goes and, and is like spending all of his wealth, but God like, embraces him coming back. Um, it's in uh, Joshua's story. It's, it's throughout Scripture that God is regularly choosing the lesser, younger. David is the youngest son. Uh, and also uh, tends the sheep. Like we see this narrative kind of over and over. So uh, I I give that tangent (laughs) just to encourage you that if you've ever felt like lesser than or younger or like less important, there's a good chance that God actually really likes you. (laughs) So just take take some encouragement in that. But God chooses the one that was maybe given less importance, maybe had a lesser role, maybe of the four human beings that we know of um, is the least. And, and, and this, it's interesting that, that Cain, his response to this is so harsh that he is angry and his face falls. And, and you might like wonder why that is. It, it seems kind of obvious. Yes, he wasn't chosen by God, but like there seems to be like an, an expression here, like a, a great emotion that's being displayed. And, and I want to just kind of maybe paint a, a little bit different of a picture for you. So um, imagine, and again, the, the text doesn't explicitly say this. I'm just trying to build kind of a, a background for us here. But imagine if you from birth even your name, even the job that you were given, like everything about you just felt like you were meant to have significance and an important role in the history of the world. And then the moment came for you to restore relationship between humanity and God in some way or to give sacrifice, to be chosen. You believed that you were maybe chosen to have this important position and you were not chosen or your sacrifice was not chosen, that you were passed over. 
Like consider the most devastating moment in your life or the, most, uh, the, the moment where something you really thought that you earned or you really thought that you deserved, you really thought was coming to you, didn't happen. I, I, I think back, like the, the thing that comes to mind for me, um, uh, I hope this doesn't seem silly, uh, but when I was a, a kid, like I, I really, I, I've always loved sports and I've always loved just being in a, like athletics. I was always kind of um, had success. And, and when I got into high school, thought I was, uh, you know, I wasn't like great, but I was like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I, I found something that I'm pretty decent at here. Um, and for me, it was baseball. I've always loved baseball and I had the opportunity to go and continue on into college. And I thought, you know, like this is the step, you know, you're, you're pretty good. Uh, you get a chance to go play in college and maybe someone ex- like finds you in college and, and and you get drafted, and then, you know, you have a career playing baseball. It's going to be awesome. Like, that was what I was hoping might happen, and pretty quickly, I discovered that I wasn't good enough for any of that. <laughs> uh, like, 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 college was a big wake-up, like, competing against people that were all just as good or better than me was, like, this, like, eye-opening experience of, like, oh, wow, this thing that I thought I was destined for actually isn't at all coming true, And I wonder if that's the same thing that Cain is experiencing in this story, maybe even to a greater degree because, you know, like restoring relationship between humanity and God's a little more important than like your baseball career. (laughs) But like there's significance that Cain believed that he would have, I think, based off of his name, based off of the job that he's given, based off of his role in the world. And yet when the time comes, God chooses able over him. You see, like, I, I think it took me like three or four times reading it to catch this. So, so here it is. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Abel and his offering. Time and time again, I've heard this story and it was all about how God chose the offering of Abel over the offering of Cain. But in reality, what scripture says is he actually chose Abel and his offering over Cain and his offering. It's not just a, a choice of, of just the offering, but it's a name, a person that he's choosing over as well. And so it's got to be just this devastating moment for Cain. And his, his response is to be angry in his face to fall. And I think it's, I think it's honestly reasonable. It's reasonable for us as humans to experience that when we have moments where we don't get what we think we deserve or we don't get what we thought we were destined for. We see there's maybe, you know, uh, there's uh, scholars will say there's a, a number of reasons maybe why God chose uh, Cain or Abel and his sacrifice over Cain and his sacrifice. Um, I would just maybe throw this out that God gets to do what he wants. <laughs> Ultimately, he knows what's best. Ultimately, he does what, I mean, we, like, like he does what he wants to do and knows what's best. I think we could point to maybe, uh, you know, Abel's sacrifice was better because uh, we get the details of it's his first uh, sheep of his uh, kind of flock, and it's the fat portions, which are the, uh, maybe the good portions, and we, the details that we get of Cain's sacrifice are just that it's the fruit of the ground. So maybe it's you know, Abel's offering a better sacrifice in that sense. Um, but maybe Cain, just maybe that detail was just left out. Maybe Cain brought the first of his as well. Um, you, could, you could point at other things as to why maybe God uh, did what he did and didn't do what he didn't do. But ultimately, I just think it's probably best for us to just see it as God does what God does. And, and, and he knows best. Um, when we see in, uh, in, in 
If we go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we'll kind of see this as well um, pointed out. That it says, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Again, like why it was more acceptable, uh, you could point to a few different things, but ultimately God just found it more acceptable and through which he was commanded as righteous uh, because of his acceptable sacrifice. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Uh, we'll get to that speaking here in a little bit. That's a little bit of a foreshadow. Let's continue to read. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 4, uh, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So Cain is obviously, uh, you know, his em- embarrassment. He's got anger. Um, and, and God says, you know, why are you, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, uh, don't you know that you'll be accepted? And so it almost kind of gives this sense of like, well, you can always try again. You can always give it another shot. You can always bring a new sacrifice. You can always worship again. Um, but, but to Cain, it's almost like this is a one and done deal. Like, no, I was not accepted. I'm not chosen. I'm done with this. And, and the, the thing that God points out here that I think is, is so important and, and probably the most important thing that I feel like sharing with you guys this morning is the warning that God gives him when he's in this kind of angry state. He says, if you, uh, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. S- if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Anybody ever been cut off in traffic before? Few, if you've ever driven a car probably. <laughs> How much grace do you have for the next person that cuts you off after you've been cut off, right? Maybe the first person, you'd be like, okay, all right, they didn't see me, that's fine. Second person, now you definitely saw me that time. You, now this is just important. By the third time, like you're just pulling over, you're gonna walk, right? Like it's so frustrating. But we, there's this escalation in our lives that we see when, when sin or disappointment or anger arises, when we don't get what we want, when we don't get what we think we deserve, that opens the door. We become more vulnerable for sin to enter. And that's what God's warning here is for Cain, right? Like when we have these moments of anger, it's, it, I want to just point this out that it doesn't seem to me at least that, that Cain's sin was that he didn't bring the sacrifice that Abel brought. It doesn't seem like his sin is that he was angry. It seems like what's going on is that God's warning him that the situation that he's in, the circumstances and the feelings that he finds himself in are leaving him vulnerable for sin to enter. And that's the warning that I think is so important for us as well. And I think you, like, like we're, we'll all be on the same page in the human experience that when things do not go the way that we want, when we are wronged, when we are hurt, when we are angry, that we are so much more vulnerable to, for sin to enter our lives and to take hold of us. But what's God say? You must rule over it. Its desire is contrary to you. Its desire is contrary to you. And I would argue that this is what he means. What God's trying to point out in sin's desire being contrary to ours is that sin wants to rob us of joy, of peace, of goodness, and it ultimately wants to kill us. And I would hope, at least I would maybe assume, that all of us in here would say, I'd rather have joy, peace, goodness, and life. 
sin's desire is contrary to that. And, and I find this just by simply going back to the last few chapters of Scripture and that, Jesus, or that God told Adam and Eve in the garden that if they were to eat of the fruit, they would surely die. Sin's ultimately going to kill us. And then when they did eat of it, the consequence was to be exiled outside of the garden where goodness was found, where the presence of God was found, where they could find peace and joy for their souls. And so sin's desire is contrary to rob us from those good things and ultimately kill us in what we desire is life. Its desire is contrary to us. We must rule over it. I don't know if anyone's ever told you, but if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has given you the power and authority to rule over sin. It has. And, and that's not to say that we all get it perfect. That's not to say that every time you're going to rule over it, that you're going to choose the right thing, that you're going to avoid the temptation. But uh, the reality is, is that you have given pa- been given power and authority to rule over sin in your life. And that doesn't give you an amen. I don't know what does, right? Like you're telling me that there is this, this, all this stuff in the world that's trying to rob me of peace and joy and love and ultimately kill me, but I've been given power to have life over it? Come on now. Let's go. Like, for real. Like, that's, that is powerful. But God says, you know, these things are contrary to you. You must rule over it. You've been given everything you need to do so. There's something that we can learn because, as probably you know if you've read the rest of the story, that Cain does not go that route. So it says this in verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Ultimately, Cain gives in to his temptation, and it's funny that I actually gave the message on Genesis 3 prior to our series here, because if you kind of just give a broad perspective of both of uh, the fall in the garden and the story of Cain and Abel, you'll see that like, there's a lot of similarities between the two, that we have these two human beings are kind of compared. We have this opportunity for sin. We see this cycle repeat itself, that there's temptation, there's sin, shame, and then there's consequences that God's ultimately going to exile Cain out of his presence. Sin always has consequences. And it's contrary to what we want in our lives. I'm going to just kind of give a quick kind of recap of the rest of Genesis chapter 4, and then we'll kind of close in one final thought together. Uh, So as the story goes, God's going to actually show mercy on Cain. Uh, The consequences, he's going to exile him. He's going to force him to go out on his own. He's no longer going to enjoy the fruits of his labor. And Cain says, no, that's too much for me to bear. Uh, Ironically, says, someone's going to kill me, which is like, uh, hello, you just did that to somebody else. It seems like that's fair. Um, But God ultimately shows mercy on him, puts a mark on him to save him, says no one is allowed to kill Cain. Uh, He's going to give him this city to build. Ultimately, Cain's going to begin an entire line of people. Um, And then we'll see these two final things that are really important at the very end. The first is that Adam and Eve have a third son named Seth, which is ultimately going to be the line that Jesus comes from. And second, the very last line of this whole chapter is, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Which is kind of a teaser foreshadowing of how the rest of Genesis is going to go. But ultimately, this morning, what I would most like for all of you to know is that you have been given power and authority to rule over sin in your life, and that it ultimately wants to rob you and kill you, but you don't have to give in to it. 
strengths. You've been given all that you need to overcome. Just as uh, God warned Cain and Abel just thousands of years ago. I'm going to invite the band to come back up as we uh, kind of close our time together here and give kind of one final thing because I I, I don't want us to, uh, my hope is that you're encouraged, my hope is that you're inspired by that, Uh, but it's possible also that there's uh, something in some of us that also feels a little bit of shame, a little bit of guilt. You're telling me that I have everything that I need to rule over sin, but yet I find myself still a sinful being. I'm there with you, me too. And so thankfully, uh, we have a, a, a sacrifice that's been made on our account. The blood of Jesus has given us freedom from being judged by those sins that we ultimately still uh, in commit. Um, and, and we'll see kind of this contrast of that in if we go back to Hebrews 12, chapter 24, or sorry, chapter 12, verse 24. Um, the end of uh, the last Hebrews verse, we saw that Abel's blood uh, was still speaking. And then in chapter 12, verse 24 says, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Uh, We end our time together uh, every week here at Mission City by taking communion together. I forgot my cup, so I'm going to uh, mimic for you. You know, you want to peel the top of that. This is a good time to do that. Uh, There you are now. You're all gone. Uh, But I just assume by the sounds that there's peeling going on. And and so uh, here's the thing that's that's really cool about this passage, or that's it's sobering for us this morning. I think Um, in Genesis chapter four. One of the things that God says to Cain uh, when he kind of confronts him about the sin of killing his brother is, uh, your brother's blood speaks to me from the ground or screams out, calls out to me, yells out to me from the ground. His life is yelling out to me. We go back to this Hebrews passage. Jesus, the mediator of new covenant and sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does that mean? What does that mean that, that that Abel's blood was speaking out to God and that Jesus' blood speaks a better word. I think, I think this is what it means. Is that Abel's blood spoke of an innocent man needing justice. That he did not deserve to be killed, but he was, and his blood was screaming out to God that he needed justice. But Jesus' blood speaks of a sinner who's justified. That through his death, blood on the cross that we are washed clean of our sins. That although we find ourselves giving in to temptation that we have been given power over to that we are uh, forgiven of that sin by the blood of Jesus. It speaks a better word to us. And we're going to transition kind of into this next song. It's, uh, it's, it's all about that idea that Jesus' blood speaks a better word to us. That it's given us righteousness. That it's cleansed us. And so, uh, although I want you to take away from this message that you have all the power and authority to overcome sin in your life, I want you to also remember that you are forgiven of the sins that you do commit because of the blood of Jesus. And it's good. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into some more worship through song. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the example that we find in scripture. Thank you for giving us power and authority to overcome sin in our life, that we would find life where there is challenge, where there is opportunity to be robbed of our joy and peace and ultimately find death. You have given opportunity for life. 
and your blood speaks that out to us, that it cries out to us, that, that we've been given opportunity to know you, to have relationship with you, to love you, to seek after you. God, you've been so, so good to us. May we worship you this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Cinemark 20 off of Johnson Drive and I-35. We also have three community groups that meet every other Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com or you can email me at jake at missioncitykc.com.